Have you subscribed to the OTB Football Podcast? What position are you playing, Sarah? I'm playing in Katie McCabe's position, so tell her to watch out. <laughs> <laughs> I'm only Subscribe now to the OTB Football Podcast stream wherever you get your podcasts and download the OTB Sports app. Wednesday Night Rugby on Off The Ball with Vodafone, main sponsor of the Irish rugby team. We all belong to the team of us. Welcome along to Wednesday Night Rugby. Plenty for us to talk about. Andy Farrell will be naming his Irish squad tomorrow, ahead of the Six Nations. Connacht have announced a raft of new contract extensions, not among them so far. Bundy Aki, whose deal is up in 2024. Eddie Jones, now the new coach of the Wallabies, replacing Dave Rennie this week for the next two World Cups. And Ben Healy in line to win his first Scotland caps after being named in the Six Nations squad by Gregor Townsend yesterday. To navigate all of that and to look forward to the Heineken Champions Cup this weekend too, we've got Andy Dunn, former Connacht and Leinster out half. We've Got Jerry Thornley from the Irish Times. Gentlemen, good evening to you. Good evening. You've been writing about it, Jerry. The Ireland squad for tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Uh, your feeling was probably not too many bolters. Um, Osborne potentially, even if you can consider him a bolter, is probably the only one from outside contention that were involved in November that will probably be picked. Well, I suppose it will be about four development players, maybe that's often the form, and um, and and Osborne would at least be one of them, you'd imagine. He's such a talent. Um, and also, I suppose, really strictly speaking, he's not that much of a bolter because they brought him into the training squad. I think two Novembers ago, as it were, November the year before last, and um, he's been on the Emerging Ireland tour. He's been, you know, he's he's been he's been. They brought him in. They want to have a good look at him. They clearly rate him. He's only just turned twenty-one. He's got great strength, acceleration, awareness, great offloading game. Likes to take the ball to the gain line. It'd be interesting what position he eventually becomes. One, he looks like a, he looked really like a twelve last Saturday. Mm. For the first time, I went, okay, that, maybe that's his position. You know, I've seen mm. him playing the wing fullback, outside centre. But he looks built for a twelve, and um, yeah, he's just he's got so much potential there that you could see him making the World Cup squad. Yet that left boot, that versatility. Um, so he's, I think his, the sudden campaign for him is justified because from the word go when he made his debut at 19 and drove Johnny McNichol back about 15 yards in his first involvement in professional rugby, less than 30 seconds being on the pitch, he's always shone out because, in part, because of his physique. Like he's built for test rugby. So I'd, I'd love to see him involved one way or the other. Whether he gets in as one of the centres, even allowing for the question mark about Robbie Henshaw, given Gary Ringrose is nailed on, Bundy Aki's nailed on, you'd imagine, and Stuart McCluskey played in all three games last November. To get in ahead of any of those might be difficult, but the fact that Kieran Crowley is injured, Crowley's injured as well does potentially open the door for him. So I expect him to be named in one way or the other, at least. Um, yeah, but probably not too many. You look at it and... They've invested in certain players like Joe McCarthy and Keane Prendergast and Ronan Keller is now back in the mix. Otherwise, it could be the exact same 20 forwards they named for the Six Nations squad a year ago. Yeah. Which you, shows you how settled and how... Well, you did yeah. the sums on this as well, Jerry. I was looking through the amount of players they've looked at over the last two and a bit years. If you include the Emerging Ireland squad, players who were with Ireland A, effectively, they've looked at 80 <laughs> players yeah. over the last two years. Yeah, yeah. And that's with a couple of injuries as well, like so forth. So they're... Picking from a pool, you certainly can't accuse them of not casting their net widely, um, and they have done. And people like Calvin Nash have maybe benefited as a result as well. Um, and it's very interesting. It would be interesting what the squad is. Some good players are going to miss out. That's the way it is. And the the profile injury wise of the squad is very good. When really there's only Robert Balakoon, I think Kieran Frawley missing, maybe Max Deegan as well. Jer- Jeremy Lockman has been a few niggles lately, but you expect him to be named ahead of Dave Kilcoyne simply because he's one of those that they've just invested so much in. And you know he he made his debut in November and he played in both games in the, in the, against the Marys in the tour. And these are the players they've been earmarked for this year and getting into the World Cup squad, or at least being an option for them. Yeah, if we take it on to them, Max Deegan's got that ankle injury which is restricted since Christmas. I think Munster was his last game. Mm-hmm. So let's see where he is with his fitness. He might welcome into the squad even during the Six Nations. Balakun's out, Frawley's out for a while but probably could play some of the Six Nations. Does it maybe speak to what the Irish coaching team have been doing that the three of us are sitting here going, yeah, probably have a fair idea what that squad's going to look like tomorrow? Well, yeah, I, I think as a group, the management group, they're they're very good selectors Um if that doesn't sound too obvious, no, no, exactly what you, mean, you know, yeah. the, the, lots of management groups are erratic selectors and panic selectors or selectors, maybe not so much on form, but on reputation. This group seemed to be, I think, pragmatic there. They take risks. I think, it, yeah, it gives us an insight um, that that we would probably obviously form is 
has been consistent from the group that played in in autumn um and then there's an element of luck where the injury profile is relatively low um but yeah i think i think the the if we see an inclusion of osborne if we focus maybe on osborne haven't played so well got a man of the match performance on saturday it's exactly the type of selection i think they would make a couple of reasons are farrell farrell played international rugby at, in the center and um, not dissimilar physically to, to Osborne. But um, my, my cat played with Will Greenwood a lot. I actually texted Will on Saturday after that game and asked him, had he an affair with some Irish woman 21 years ago? <laughs> the guy, he is, he's remarkably like um, Will. Greenwood, yeah. He's remarkably like him in terms of how he runs. Mm. And um, the first try he scored... It, I I obviously played two or three seasons with Will inside him and his running style is remarkably similar but then the more I look at him it's his, his, his capacity to be versatile in the game now obviously Will wasn't a left footer but Will had a kicking game and a smart kicking game and Osborne has got that he's obviously a left footer is a huge plus now the Irish squad seem to have plenty of that all of a sudden between James Lowe Jimmy O'Brien yeah absolutely um, but he's got a passing game mm. very very clean crisp passing game and a varied passing game a wide passing game he can pass early he can pass late go into the line put someone in a gap he's obviously a threat himself um, but yeah a remarkable and Will so English World Cup winners can be so endearing he said uh, come back to me when he's got 30 test tries <laughs> was his response so the classic uh, World Cup winners response but in fairness he, tongue in cheek he did say later on he went and watched it and you know kind of good player full stop he got back which I would say is high That's enough not praise a bad review, from but yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah I, th- I think he'll be someone when you're looking at um, the makeup of the squad. He's, it won't be a huge surprise. Timing is isn't timing so important and mm. luck, but he puts in a performance like that a week before the the selection. Everything about it looked like he would be very comfortable in an international setting to me. And sometimes people just leapfrog into groups like that. Yeah, it's like these young Leinster players that come through this conveyor belt and they play together in what is a mm. quasi B side, and they all look very good. But then you throw them into the actual top-notch side in a Champions Cup setting, surrounded by internationals, and they can really flourish. And that's, he just looked like he belonged in that company, yeah. didn't he? And I love the way he finished his try, Andy, because so many players make that break, and if they've got his strength and they're going up against a little scrum half like Ben Meehan, mm. they go head down and try, I'll run over him and I'll score. He had the awareness and presence of mind to use his footwork to basically check to a halt and then separate yeah. so, didn't even, so he would have scored that try in tip rugby <laughs> it shows it, to me it just shows this level of um, reserve or calm mm. in his in his whole thinking or his nervous system like I mean you make a line break in rugby there's at pitch level there's so many different stimulus coming at you stimuli rather there's noise there's you're on you're on a on a flat level there's people chasing you you can hear them you can feel them there's shouting coming there's people in front of you it's very difficult to, to get a panoramic feel of what's going on at breakneck speed and he just looked like he'd ice in his veins he just slowed down allowed the defender make the decision for him stepped inside it kind of looked like an easy try based on poor defence but it was anything but it was an incredible level of calmness particularly somebody who's making a European debut mm. um, it really struck me like uh, something maybe special in him yeah. yeah there was a lovely moment near the end I'm sure you remember where Jim Hamilton's on Cocom and he's just purring about Osborne's performance even, almost even more so than Brian O'Driscoll who's allowed to do so and again about Caelan Doris describing his world class and one of the best two number eights in the world where Nick McCarthy throws out a brilliant flat skip yeah. pass which he takes on the gain line and moves on as if he's giving it to Caelan Doris flat and the same one fluid movement pulls it back was it for Ross Byrne or something yeah. they go wide right and Jim Hamilton actually says in company oh please don't tap Leinster let's see that again and they actually never did show it again but I re-ran and watched it it's, it's sublime Yeah, yeah. He, he just looked like he belonged in that company Yeah, he, it's hard not to get excited you know it's yeah. only one game like, and we can't get too excited about new yeah, kids in the block but it's, it's hard nice, it's, to it's nice to get excited about this yeah. you know I, yeah. like, I'm watching the NFL and you look at Brock Birdie and he's come from nowhere and suddenly he's to the manner born to the backup and now he's yeah, one of the best and, players and, and it happens and like it's that's why we like sport because these 
very occasionally these things happen and get exciting. We should get excited about it, you know. If it doesn't happen, fair enough. We'll all go back to being disappointed bores. But like, <laughs> it's, uh, hope, you know, hopefully he just jump jump the queue and we'll see something special. Yeah, looking at the report series today about Jacob Stockdale, it's easy to forget how prolific he was early in his Ireland career. And we think back to his excellent try, his own kick and chase against the All Blacks in 2018, and everything is right there in front of him. He gets a centralised contract. Um, but obviously, he's now very much in the cold for our selection, and it would appear he's now going to lose his centralised contract with the RFU. Yeah, it's sad. You know, he was the player of the year. He was the good luck charm for in that golden year, 2018, when Ireland won a Grand Slam. He was the leading try scorer in the Six Nations. Everything he did just came off. It just worked for him. He knew what the try line was. It was the same for Ulster. He picked off intercepts continuously. There were question marks about his defence. And then he's just had a bad run of injuries ever since. Like, he's played so little rugby. I was amazed to see that he'd started something like two games in about a year and a half there before his latest comeback. And... It's just, he looks as if he's lost a bit of confidence. Watching him in the Ireland A, All Blacks 15 game, um, his work rate just wasn't up to it. Um, it's sad to see. You hope he comes back because he was a very special player in 2018. I think he's got this, what I refer to maybe as that winger syndrome. Is like, when he's one of those wingers is when he's hot, he's absolutely on fire hot. And when he's not, he's not. And, you know, that 2018 um, game, I think, didn't he? He threw an awful intercept to Richie McCaw, was it? In 28, no, maybe not McCaw, sorry, Kieran Reid, um, about three minutes before he got the brilliant try. That's right, yeah. Now, he got away with the intercept, but he was so, at that stage, he was walking on air. He was so on fire you and I were at the Aviva and we were saying look at least he's trying something yeah. and then you saw the creativity for the try itself yeah and so his his capacity to just look these things don't affect me if you if you uh, can remember from the La Rochelle game there's a high kick with about 12 minutes to go and he if he I mean he made about 5 attempts to pick the thing up and you know in that period he's a far better player than that even allowing for the wet conditions to so me that, that failure to ground the ball for Ulster against Leinster as well yeah. maybe that, I think that set him back his form yeah. wasn't quite the same for a few games after that yeah so. he just looks like a real definition of a confidence player mm. to me um, without casting any aspersions on his personality like he could be the most resilient fella out there but he blows so hot and cold at times and that that knock on um, in the La Rochelle uh, half just it, it was one of those ones where he tries to pick it up and he kicks it with his shin and he tries again and, you know he's tripping up over the thing nearly when he's he's got a lot more capability than that and, you know, I suppose he cross-referenced that when he was back firing on all cylinders it is it is there's an element of it feeling a bit sad for a player when it goes that wrong but I'd also say he's probably not a million miles away from turning it around and having another hot streak it just doesn't look like it's going to come very soon and of course, Irish jersey and of course in his absence James Lowe has come along yeah. and it's a reincarnated James Lowe mm. who was bombed out of the team and had to go back and improve his defence and his fitness yeah. and his work rate and now adds this left-booted option and provides the real X factor that in truth Ireland were missing a little bit in November like they were very good in November got the three wins but they could have done with Lowe's X factor and you see immediately when he comes back into the Leinster team that his capacity to just free his hands and make an offload is probably unrivaled in Irish rugby mm. not sure there's any player who can offload as well as James Lowe does. And that's also kind of, if you like, both ease the pain of losing Stockdale at his best in terms of form and taking all our attention away from Stockdale too. Yeah. And in a way, look, last summer we probably saw the evolution of James Lowe's game where you see some of the hits he put in in the third test against New Zealand. This mm. was no longer the guy who just liked to get chalk onto his feet and run in mm. tries. Mm. Yeah, and he's got the kicking game, mm -hmm. the long, rangy kicking game too. So yeah, it's. I think Lowe's got that unique um, attribute. Very few players have is where the coach will say, you adapt to what James does on the field. Um, because people do. People, people, and Luke McGrath's done it for years, anticipates what he's going to do, runs lines off him and in... in really in anticipation of something that may happen and in many cases with James Lowe it does and he sets the lad free um, a lot of coaches don't give that level of freedom to players they have to um, 
fall into line with what the team approach is or the team play is in terms of the sequence, definitely James Lowe gets a bit of a green card on that from, from his coaching team, and, and correctly so. But And that that isn't a commonplace licence that's handed out to players. The outside backs would be interesting tomorrow because there can only be room for about seven or eight of them. Mm. And by my calculations, like Stockdale's probably, he's, he was never going to make the cut, but now even less likely to. But, and Rob Balakoon doesn't make it, but does Calvin Nash, and he might well do, they seem to be very sweet mm-hmm. in Calvin Nash, and he's himself and Shane Daly are having great seasons with Munster, but then Keith Earls got dropped last weekend mm-hmm. by Munster, but I know, we all know they're very sweet in Earls, they really value his presence within the squad, he's on 98 caps, I'm sure they'd love to see him get to 100, he's on a central contract, but there won't be room for anybody, and then of course, also easing the absence of Stockdale is the emergence of Jimmy O'Brien, mm-hmm. another option on the left wing, and another left foot. Mm-hmm. So even... With Earls and Murray currently, like last weekend, they weren't part of the match day 23. They're still very much in the plans of the Ireland coaching team right now. Ah, yeah, I'd say so. They'd value experience. And to be honest, there was a part of you last Saturday, if it came down to an end game, well, though, Paddy Patterson's done this season. He's so quick to the break. He's often there before the breakdown's even finished, before the ball's even available. And, you know, he's got an eye for gaps and he's very quick over the ground. And he's been one of the real surprise packages this season. Yet I liked Murray's experience for that end game, and I wouldn't be surprised if Murray's experience is brought back for Stad Ernest Vallon in a, sun, in a mm. make or break, do or die game away from home, and maybe even Keith Earls on the bench too. I don't know, mm. but That's I would right. imagine definitely they'll both be. Certainly Murray will be in the Irish squad, and I, I wouldn't be surprised if Earls is as well. Yeah, what do you reckon, Andy? I mean, Roundtree couldn't predict the fact they were going to be down to fourteen men and having to dig in a little bit in the second half, where Murray maybe coming in with that assuredness may well have helped in the second half for Munster last week. It seemed. By the selection of having Casey and Patterson, Munster wanted to get quick ball at night mm-hmm. last weekend. That was the thinking with the selection. Yeah, they've an interesting um, setup there in their nines in that Murray has is vastly the most experienced. His game has is not as um, his game has evolved, I suppose, and it's somewhat slowed down. He's not as much of a threat in terms of his own pace where we think back to, you know, brilliant sniping runs against the All Blacks in Chicago 2016. That just doesn't seem to be there anymore. And that's very common in players as they get older. It's just, you know, they can probably see the gap better than ever. They just can't run through it as well, which is so frustrating. I think what Casey, what they've seen in Casey was the opposite. And they saw this young guy who's all about tempo Um, But I think possibly Casey is one pace in that he's so, it's just all high tempo. It's just constant high tempo. And and where Patterson seems to fit is that he's, he has the capacity to be high tempo, but I think he potentially has the the capacity to slow down a bit where I haven't seen Casey change pace. Casey is relentlessly fast, but sometimes the game needs um, a different tone and I'm not sure has he got that Yeah, the times I've been watching Patterson thinking he smells the game very well Yeah, you, yeah. You're a little bit like got a Gibson good. Park has, Gibson Park can introduce tempo mm. he invariably does it at the right time he can also put the foot on the brakes I had a uh, brilliant coach back in, in the day in Harlequins Paul Turner he he played for Wales in the 80s in various uh, six five nations games they were back then and he had a phrase um, put your foot on the ball figuratively speaking it's just you know put your foot on the brakes and calm it all down a little bit and I think certainly Gibson Park has it and I think Patterson has it and I think Murray has it too much I think Casey doesn't have it at all so you've got this this interesting situation Patterson may well be one who can mix well, I a bit be, I won't, yeah, exactly <coughs> and I, you know someone like Roundtree is looking at that he, he knew well, you know, he's taken a gamble by not including Murray. Um, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see Patterson figuring in their match day 22 more and more and more as we go. I thought he was, I've been really impressed with him. And I, from what I'm hearing, you're probably closer to the ground in terms of the what people are saying down there. But he's he's been mighty impressive yeah. among his peer group. I'm like, that's a lad from the heart of Dublin 4 going down to Limerick and Cork. It's not easy when you're, when you... Uh, They've really caught, he's really caught the management's yeah, eye. They yeah. Quite, whoa, he's this good. Yeah. Yeah. Where yeah. you've got this son of Limerick in, in Casey who, you know, he's bound to be a favourite and you've got this lad coming in from Dublin 4 
not your typical to, to, to start pushing your way into potentially starting or, or subbing I, I, just from a cultural point of view you're kind of going he's clearly doing a lot There's one other thing that you haven't mentioned that Conor Murray brings and that is that he can yeah. sit in the stand for 60 minutes and he's watching the game unfold he knows exactly what he's going to do when he, when he comes on I think back to that Twickenham game when Charlie Ewell's got the first minute red card yeah. and Ireland were just they're almost like old from the RDS. We're like, we have to win. We're against 14 men. But, and, the, and the game was slipping away. And there were scrum issues. And England were very pumped up. And the crowd were feverishly into the game. And Connor comes on with about 15, 20 minutes to go. And it's go, ah, bit of canvas. Yeah, and he peels off a mall. And he, and he just plays it. And he's, he just brought them in together. And he just saw the game out expertly. And the other thing as well he brings is real physicality around the fringes. You yeah. know what I mean? Loose ball. He can tie it up. He never gets turned over. And you're coming up against an uber-physical side in Toulouse next yeah. Sunday away from home. And I think they could well want that physicality as well as that experience and that savvy in the last quarter of the game. Yeah, I would agree on that angle in that there literally is no substitute for someone who has his level of experience and what he's what he could do coming off the bench. But I, I think it's just a little bit of a shift in their approach that he's not a shoe-in to start in mm. those games anymore by any stretch. Um, Probably another element of that selection as well, leaving out Earlsey and leaving out Stephen Archer and leaving out Conor Murray. It was a message to the whole squad, like, there are no guaranteed places in this setup. You know, it's 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 going to be based on form and it kind of, they are trying to build squad strength and depth and I think they're doing that. Yeah, I think they've hit a bit of form as well, which is going to be yeah. crucial ahead of that Munster yeah, game. Yeah, six wins and eight now, isn't it, or something like yeah, that. After and look, there was that feeling that Munster earlier in the season were falling down in those yep. types of games. Mm, yeah. I think it may have been not particularly pretty towards the end of the match last weekend, but all that really mattered was that Munster won the game to take this down to the last weekend. Yeah, yeah. And in actual fact, I did a piece last weekend and I went through it with like quite a lot of detail and they lost five of their first seven and then won five of their next seven going into last week's game and by every metric they were improving discipline was better more line breaks more offloads better tackle higher tackle execution you know by a lot of metrics their performances were improving and the only two defeats in the last eight were by Toulouse and Leinster who weren't exactly slouches Mm. (laughs) Um, Bundy Aki's current situation then he's not played a huge amount Andy Friend was speaking about him he says the headline is going to be if Bundy is not involved there must be an issue the focus has got to be on the fact that we've called forward going really well let's just sit back and enjoy that there's no doubt Aki because of who he is and what he is is going to head up the Irish camp and is probably going to be sensational in the Six Nations when we get him back we've got a brilliant Bundy coming back in full of energy and beans because hopefully Ireland will have won the Six Nations and now we have him for the remainder of the season as he heads into the World Cup that is the story. So that's Andy Friend. That's a narrative that he wants, Jerry. But the narrative for many people are wondering, why is Bundyaki not featuring and why is Bundyaki not signed an extension beyond 2024? Well, the first one would be more, there might be something to that because it did seem odd that he was being rested at a time when Gary Reynolds had played something like 14 games in a row. It just didn't, why would he be, like, it just didn't make sense. So there's no smoke without fire and all that. I don't know exactly what's going on there, but um, I do know that he's very much back in the mix this week and playing for Connacht and he will, certainly he'll be named the squad and in fact I would imagine that he will start against Wales if there's still a prevailing doubt about Robbie Henshaw after his wrist up and he hasn't played in a while and lest we forget Bundyaki who was the match winner for Ireland last time out against Australia he's provided so much value I know there's been a couple, few red cards and stuff but like that apart he's consistently added great value to the Irish team um, in actual fact, in the latter years, you could probably say Ireland have got more value out of him than Connacht have. His number of appearances has been so low. Mm. And he's just a physical beast, a, a test match animal. And um, you know that he would bring huge energy and enthusiasm when he comes into camp, as he always does. And yeah, I don't think there's a, a major doubt about that. I think, yeah, you'll see him figure prominently in the Six Nations. Is there any concern, Andy, that he's not been playing much coming into this? It looks like he might play this weekend. To, yeah, I would be a little bit concerned on on that side of it from a fitness point of view with him he strikes me as a player who maybe fluctuates in fitness levels with lack of exposure where someone like if we use Sexton as an example doesn't need a run of games to hit the ground running um, I find it funny the it reminds me uh, Frank Underwood from the House of Cards or what was it the original English version of that Francis Urquhart as the British Prime Urquhart, Minister yeah. he say you may very well think that but I couldn't possibly comment it was like <laughs> Andy Friend coming out and saying there's no issue here but I would say there is an issue like mm. there, there is there's something going on there um, there's no way he wasn't he, he was rested um, in my mind um, whether it's an internal thing um, you know and most you know, the vast majority of squads 
these days, particularly in rugby, are not going to let that cross the threshold into the public domain. Whereas, you know, the likes of Ten Hag maybe in United will, and that's refreshing. But um, I would think there's something going on there, whether whether they fix it or, or not. He, you know, he's there's definitely an issue there with him in, in the Connacht jersey. And I'd agree with you, Jerry. I think Ireland in the last couple of years have had better value from him. Um, I'd have a lingering concern about his discipline still and it's a bit like Owen Farrell can he actually you know it doesn't matter how many schools you know what what are they getting sent to some camp where they get told how to uh, tackle a bit lower and all this lark in the heat of the moment I have a lingering doubt Bundyak he could throw a shoulder into someone's chin and not on purpose it's just the nature of his game a bit like Farrell and I'd be worried about that in a, in a World Cup squad I mean it's, he's, he's still adding a lot of value but that's a question mark for me in knockout rugby high stakes and tiny tiny margins you can't afford someone to get red guarded I agree totally with that that's obviously a valid concern because of the history but on the contractual thing that you brought up I don't know ever I've never known of a player who signed a contract extension more than a year out in rugby just doesn't happen. Happens in football, it doesn't happen in rugby, so I wouldn't be worried about that at all. And I think it's worth stressing that this is either his ninth or his tenth season of contract. I'm pretty sure it's his ninth, so in third contract, so he's renewed at least twice, if not three times. He joined when he could have joined Munster or Leinster. He chose Connacht, he stayed at Connacht. I know for a fact that he had very lucrative offers in France. Clermont, once upon a time when they were flying high, made a very lucrative offer, much more money than he would be on with Connacht in Ireland. And he's passionately a Connacht man. He wants to win another trophy with Connacht. It matters as much to him almost as, you know, winning a World Cup with Ireland. He's, and he's a huge hero to the kids down there, more so than any other Connacht player. They adore him. And, you know, he, he remains a talisman for Connacht on and off the pitch. I just don't think we should forget that. You know what I mean? It's, mm. even, c- even taking out committee is, though, he is going to be 33 after the World Cup. Yep. He'll have a few months left in his contract before it runs down. He could at that point think, right, Andy Friend is gone. Maybe Connacht are making a bit of a change for next season. You could understand if he was to pursue and potentially look at other options. Absolutely, you could understand it. And you can always understand it. No less than Ben Healy going over to Edinburgh pursuing his dreams of playing international rugby for Scotland. Mm. Best of luck to you. You know what I mean? It's a short career. And it can be even shorter than players anticipated. There's always that threat. So he could well be, and he'd be perfectly entitled to after nine years, ten years service, that would be a decade service to Connacht. Um, which I would safely say nobody expected when he first joined. And I remember reading I remember reading headlines debating whether Bundy was going to stay in my own paper, not written by me, as well as other papers. Oh, Bundy be on his way, Bundy be on his way. And it's never come to pass. Mm. So, you know, we should remember that. Oh, no, he's been a, a huge addition to Irish rugby and he's yeah. got a bit of magnetism he does, about yes. him, a mm. bit of presence. Mm-hmm. It's great to have characters in the game. Mm. Yeah. Uh, plenty for us to still talk about of course rugby and off the ball is with thanks to Vodafone main sponsor of the Irish rugby team we all belong to the team of us we'll be chatting about Eddie Jones and also about Ben Healy no doubt after this short break Wednesday Night Rugby on Off the Ball with Vodafone main sponsor of the Irish rugby team we all belong to the team of us Welcome back to Wednesday Night Rugby. Myself, Jerry Thornley, and we've got Andy Dunn with us as well. We're taking a look at um, a very interesting week in rugby news, including Eddie Jones, Jerry. Was it uh, six weeks, I think, after he left his mm-hmm. England post? He's now back as the Australia head coach, not just for the World Cup coming this year, but for the next World Cup cycle. Appears he's going to have a very um, expanded role with Australia, where he'll be working with the women's team as well. And uh, we had uh, Keith Wood on this morning's OTBAM, and he was saying there had to be that possibility that Australia were already in contact about what could have happened beyond the next World Cup and maybe this was just a situation where they knew that Eddie Jones was possibly there knew what the situation was going to be like and once that decision was made about Dave Rennie they were ready to make the move pretty quickly Yeah, and you could see why from a number of aspects for Rugby Australia this added up Number one, he's an Australian and Dave Rennie isn't Number two, He's very quotable He hogs headlines He will increase the profile of Rugby Union at a time when they've had a Tough, t- tough run of it in terms of results. And I've been to Australia a good few times. And, you know, you have to be there to appreciate how much of a battle it is for rugby union against 
Aussie rules and rugby league. Like it's way behind, and in certain parts of it's Australia, cricket, and cricket as well. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, it just it's way down. It's even it's even more of a minority sport in Australia at rugby unions than it is in Ireland. It struck me the last time I was in Sydney. Yeah, I picked up the paper. Yeah, and there were stories about the Melbourne Soccer Club, which were running ahead of rugby unions. Yeah, mm. yeah, football as well. Yeah, so like it's. They're, they're at a low ebb and they need the profile and he will increase the profile, there's no doubt about it. And I, he could well give them a short-term lift and we know what kind of rugby he likes to play. It's basically beat the opposition into submission first and foremost. Rugby game is a physical brutality and so forth and we're going to impose physical brutality in the French, which I don't think is the kind of language head coaches should be using in the modern climate. You wonder if when Charlie Ewell's got that first minute red card for his high hit on uh, James Ryan, were they just too pumped up to try and do a number in Ireland physically? I don't like a lot of the other things he said in the past, but Johnny Sexton in particular, never mind the scummy Irish and the thing he said about Wales. And I mean, I, can, I know, like I'm going to Six Nations launch, you and I were talking about it off air next Monday, and it would certainly be duller without Eddie because he was always stirring it up and he was very mischievous and he was great value. I'd say the English media lads are thinking, okay, we've got rid of Eddie Jones now, but we've got Steve Borthwick. Nice lad, Steve, but... <laughs> They're not... Maybe not so good for the colleges. They're not going to warm up their pen. <laughs> yeah, like they won't be getting as many back page leads to the sports editors, but it that way um, absolutely yeah. but then of course manna from heaven you couldn't make it up there's a possibility of um, England and Australia meeting in the quarterfinals in Marseille so you can imagine what that week would be like I'd say Steve Borth will hardly get a mention that Eddie will hog it all week long and will stir it up and be at his mischievous best and of course we're guaranteed Warren Gatland and Michael Check and that half of draws you like all these old heavyweight coaches you know plenty yeah. to say and don't mind using press conference for exchanging the odd barb or two so um, but I do think in the midst of all there's one last thing about this I think it's really tough on Dave Rennie and it, I, I read all the reports in the Sydney Morning Herald and others uh, just to get a feel of it because I was writing a comment about it and he it was just like short shrift the lowest pro win the lowest win ratio of any Wallabies head coach 38% 38%, 38 and that was it nothing else now, in 2022, just gone, they came with a one very contentious Matthew Rinaldi decision of beating the All Blacks. They came within one brilliant Damien Penno try of beating France and Paris. They very nearly beat Ireland, as we saw. Um, and it wasn't Dave Rennie's decision to take on five matches on an end-of-year tour to take the tally to 14. It was Rugby Australia took on the fifth match because they needed the money. On foot of which, the third game was against Italy, so really Rennie didn't have much choice but to rotate his squad, have a look, good few other players, and they had a kick to beat Italy in the last kick of the game as well. Like, their win ratio could have been easily so much higher this year. But the other thing that really struck me doing, I did a lot of the Aussie media gigs that week, and how much the assistant coaches and the players, right up to Nick White after the Ireland defeat, <coughs> saying, we are 100% behind Dave Rennie. Um, and they proved it the following week when they were 21 points down against Wales, 14th test of the year, most of any team in world rugby last year, 21 points down, flight home to Australia the next day. They could have just so easily given up and they came back and win. And that for me was proof that they were very much behind Rennie. So I feel, I think whatever about Wayne Pivak and Eddie Jones losing their jobs, I think I, think, I feel very sorry for Dave Rennie. I, don't, I think he was harshly treated with myself. Uh, yeah, I re I've always liked and admired his yeah. his coaching style from the Glasgow days. Mm. And um, Glasgow won a um, Pro, 12. Pro 12 playing exhilarating rugby, which I rarely use in the same sentence as the URC. <laughs> although I'm coming, although I'm coming around, but they um, actually Pivac played a very similar brand with Clanetley, and he went into to Wales and probably similar fortunes, well backed by the players, didn't quite get the win ratio in results. Um, I I fully agree with Jerry on the notion that it's not purely it's not purely based on rugby in that it's based on a bit of a battle for Hearts and minds, minds yeah. and he he is as he is literally as Aussie as they come, mm -hmm. and I I I fully agree. I think he's going to generate attention that they they badly need. Whereas Rennie is a understated or low key, yeah, you know, quieter man. But I'd be interesting to see how deflated those players are who maybe felt they were really getting somewhere and improving because. Eddie will not have anything remotely similar in approach or in personality when he comes in. He's also someone who's very easy to 
change his mind it seems he at one stage he was quoted as saying it takes eight years to win a World Cup and eight months is all he has now yeah so, but he's also coming around and says well I can actually do it in eight months now that I'm in Australia um, but the, the high paying or a few needed, he needed eight, eight bites of the cherry potentially uh, or eight years to develop that squad that he can now do in eight months so he's, he's a little contradictory um, but never short of confidence never and um, he is a bit of box office but it'd be interesting you know sometimes squads really buy into a coach and, and when the coach is gone there's a hangover and then if the new coach doesn't come in and hit his, hit the ground running there's a little bit of you know looking over your shoulder thinking what could have been with the last fella and so on and look professional sport is ruthless and unforgiving and things change very quickly um, generally players fall into line but I'd, I'd have a sense he's just he's not always had had huge reputation in terms of the the sense of you know I suppose cohesion in a squad there's always you know he's he's a Marmite type they they love him or they really don't like him mm. and um the turnover in assistant coaches was quite extraordinary. Huge, Over 20, I huge, think it was, huge. at England. Uh, Bortwick was my captain in Bath, and um, he used to do 10 to 12 hour days as a player, like, you know, video analysis, and an unbelievable line out. Was this stuff he was asked to do himself? Or was no, no, volu- voluntary. Right. He was killing us all because, you know, the coach would look, look what your captain does. No one else was hanging He's around for additional though. five hours. But apparently he went up to... Sarries about a year or two later <laughs> and worked with and under Eddie Jones and Eddie Jones is the only person who who've, like he's never been outworked by anyone Bortwick outworked him in terms of time at the desk and analysis but Jones is someone who really has a strong work ethic despite the the characteristics of being you know a bit of box office he works bloody hard um, so it'll be it'll just be a very interesting shift in the Australian approach I think and, and also in, in, in that lead up to the World Cup it'll be fun you also have to find an out half in your position yeah, because yeah, like yeah. Bernard Foley did not have a good tour I don't yeah. know whether that's Sojourn to Japan has taken the edge off his game mm. Craig Cooper was one of about 20 players who were injured as well like he had an injury list the length of your arm yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, but he, he, Eddie Jones needs, needs to develop one of the out halves or somehow find one because yeah. it's such a key position and they, they've been struggling yeah. there this season mm. Yeah. So bring you back in the Bortwick point. That's interesting because sometimes players will say, I knew a player towards the end of his career absolutely cut out to be a coach. That sounds like you had a feeling that Bortwick was going to go into coaching at some point. Yeah, he, but he always struck me as a an integrator more than this visionary. You know, like I'm surprised that he's... Now, I'm surprised, I am, that he went and won a premiership with Leicester as the head guy. I always thought he'd be a forwards coach, an assistant coach, or someone who'll integrate and do all the right processes, but is not, he's not inspirational, he's not a visionary. And, you know, I'm a Liverpool fan. Klopp, to me, is a visionary, and Pep Linders integrates processes. And, you know, great coaching teams need that. I think Farrell is a visionary. Um, when you look at, I would say Schmidt was probably more like Borthwick and has more integrated processes, but maybe not your visionary so you CEO. Need a, you need a Mike Cat then to... Yeah, and I think, so it is interesting. I think Borthwick is of that ilk, but he's been made the top guy and he's been made the top guy on the back of winning the Premiership with Leicester. But having known him and played under him and seen that approach he takes, sometimes that's not the approach a team needs from their top person they need that approach from the five or six people underneath the top guy so yeah I was I, I am surprised he's he's been appointed that job he's, he's the polar opposite to, to Eddie's personality like you said Jerry it's going to be a very different uh, you can imagine the robotic press conferences that are going to come and that's nothing wrong with that he's he's perfectly entitled to perfectly hold, perfectly. hold his uh, guard um, which he will but yeah I'm I'm a huge work ethic, a brilliant person, very, very respected and admired by his peer group. But he he never struck me at the time like someone who would go on to be the top man. He struck me as an assistant, yeah. Dave Rennie's probably going to be in demand, Jerry, mm. I think. Mm. Um, people are already suggesting maybe some of the provinces should look at him. And uh, mm-hmm. unlike Eddie Jones, we're not sure exactly what the package has in it about him working for somewhere else, but maybe it's different to going to an international job. I think he's going to be very much in demand, isn't he? Very much so. Very much so. Yeah, like, um, who knows how the 
provincial map is going to look in the next... I, I would say that Leinster have already done their business and Munster is probably now, it's a new ticket, so that's going to be settled for a while. But we'll see what happens with Ulster and Connacht over the next little while. But it won't be just Ulster and Connacht. I would imagine somebody with Dave Rennie's profile, with a CV, could, would be wanted in... He could be definitely could be wanted in France. Definitely could be wanted in England. I wouldn't say he'd be short of offers. Um, like the rugby that he got the scar that's playing to win that. Mm. Or Glasgow. Oh, sorry, Glasgow Glas- to win yeah. that Pro Twelve. No, that was electric. That remains the only silverware that any Scottish senior team has won since nineteen ninety nine. Mm. Like you know, for all their swinging from the chandeliers and shouting from the rooftops what a great side they are and we're going to go all out for the Six Nations this year etc etc every time they win one match mm. and their media jump aboard and, and even Tom English has bought into the hype mm. um, and I thought Tom was a fairly sensible lad once upon a time Maybe, obviously it's that Scottish air that is breathing in but like that was the one trophy they won and they they were they were outstanding mm. you know like yeah. he's I think he's a seriously good coach and like you know I think he got badly treated and he, there would be huge huge amount of clubs interested in what you would have thought mm. Andy, on the Scottish side of things, um, high praise for Ben Healy coming from Gregor Townsend yesterday. I understand if you're bringing a guy in and he has four new players, McConaughey yeah. is part of the squad as well, he was going to be talking these guys up. Um, but he seemed quite confident that Ben Healy is ready to go and if he's to be involved in the Six Nations, he's going to play very well for Scotland. Yeah, I, I, he's, he's a type of player who can go into, um, I would imagine most systems, he'll be compliant with what the coach once he's got a you know 90% kicking success rate and and a huge distance on his boot compliance is an interesting word because obviously Finn Russell has not always been compliant with the way that Gregor Townsend wants to play yeah is maybe he lets Gregor Townsend sleep a bit easier if he thinks that Healy's going to yeah. do his exact game plan yeah I would have thought um, one of the major reasons that Healy made the choice is because there's a gap in the market over there um, Russell is not 23 he's 31 one, I think 31 so he's not you know he's plenty of time left I'd imagine but he's also rock and roll and falls out with the coach every fortnight and so on whereas very very dependable Ben Healy with a high uh, success rate in terms of your goal kicking and compliance and if you if you um I fully understood Ben's rationale to make the decision to go to Scotland because, and as much as it disappointed Roundtree and Munster, because they really, who wouldn't want to hold on to someone like that in terms of his his capacity to add value to your squad? Nonetheless, Ben himself knew I'm third choice regardless. So I know I'm adding value and I know they appreciate me, but why don't I go where, like Jerry alluded to earlier, short careers, capitalise on it, follow your dream. You want to play international rugby. McGinty did it in the US. Um, Ian McKinley did it in Italy. There are there are Irish out-halves. Only four professional teams. There are young Irish out-halves, number eights, props. I think it's going to become more and more commonplace if you can't get into a starting provincial side and you have relatives from somewhere else. Why not? It's a short career. This is why I hate the Little Ireland mentality that bemoans the Bundyakis and the Kiwis that play for, or CJ Standard that play for Ireland, particularly given our history as a nation, as an expat nation. Like, mm-hmm. we've, we've been welcomed all over the world. Otherwise, God knows how, how we would have got on yeah. as people. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and by the same token, like, the same day that Bundyaki made his debut for Ireland, Ian McKinley made his debut for Italy. So we can't celebrate Ian McKinley's achievement and the McKinley family in one hand and be critical of not having a team packed with Irish-born, mm-hmm. irish born irish bred purer than the Irish driven snow players from 1 to 23 it's got to work both ways and mm. we should live in a multicultural society and be welcoming to people who adopt the tricolour and the Irish jersey and want to do their I best I would say we've gained a lot more from it I mean if you think of yes. Matt Hansen who once upon a time is working in yes. a pub in Australia yeah. and next thing he becomes yes. a, almost nailed on star yes. for Ireland mm. Ben Healy it's, it's sad to lose him because he's a product of the Glenstall and Munster Academy system when he first broke into the Munster team at a very young age he immediately proved himself this wondrous clutch goal kicker whether it was drop goals or penalties mm. from the halfway line or whatever else I thought personally and I don't know if you agree with me or not but that first year under Stephen Larkham, the improvement in Ben Healy's game was quite dramatic. Mm. He really learned how to take the ball to the gain line, he can throw out long skip passes. His game just evolved and improved so much. And it's just a little bit unlucky that when you think they let JJ Hanneman and Jake Flannery go as well, they just came along with this crop about halves mm. after Joey moved from Leinster. And then it became when Crowley made his breakthrough in November, 
it became 3-2 out and go at Munster. And I think as big a factor in however Munster was going to pan out in the next two years, clearly Ben Healy was thinking of this a good while ago in only signing a one-year contract. He's a smart boy. I've interviewed him. He's a very intelligent, smart boy. And he would have thought about his international practice. Everybody wants to play international rugby, understandably. Yeah. And he's looking down the line. And in the post-Sexton world, let's be honest, he might, only have, he might have got two or three caps. Mm. They would have had a look at him. But in Scotland, there's every chance he goes to the World Cup and his Scottish career takes off yeah. immediately. And he might win, who knows, 50, 60 caps with Scotland, which on balance he was probably not going to do with Ireland. I'm sure there was a conversation with Andy Farrell behind all of this, or Mike Cash, mm. and Ben Healy just has been weighing up his options for a while. And then mm. after November panned out the way he did, he went, right, my future lies yeah. in Scotland. There's, and that's there's every, every chance he bangs over seven out of seven against us. Oh. And we're all sitting, <laughs> curling our toes. Well, as is his right, Heineken Champions Cup this weekend. On Sunday, we've got live commentary Toulouse against Munster here on Off the Ball. That is, along with Ulster and Sale, the two really important games for the provinces with Connacht and Leinster already qualified. Jared, to give you a first shout, you already mentioned this is going to be a game where Munster probably going to have to dig in. It's going to be a difficult game to get a result in. It's one which is required to qualify. Do you fancy Munster to get the result they need in Toulouse at the weekend? Yeah, it's an interesting one. They go into Pool B like they've got nine points. They should be almost sitting prettier than they are. But almost every other result conspired against them last weekend, even down to the Ospreys picking up five points and Montpellier coming away with two points from that game. It means that Montpellier are just two points behind them. And they, they're at home to London Irish on Sunday just before. And you'd imagine with London Irish down where they are, probably not going to send over their strongest team. That could be a handy five points for Montpellier which means come kick-off, they're going to be in at least seventh place. Presuming Claremont don't win away to the Stormers and Claremont haven't really fired a shot in this tournament and Stormers away, you'd imagine that's going to be tough for them. Then it depends on the Sale-Ulster result. So if Sale win, they could go above Munster and they could be in eighth place. If Claremont won, they could be in ninth and then they might need something to qualify. Let's say they go in seventh or eighth place. Ultimately, if Ulster win, they probably go seventh and it's not the worst thing in the world. They can have a, It's a free shot they're probably going to get Saris away maybe then in the last 16. If they if Sale win and they go into the game in the eighth place, they're looking at the, staring down the barrel of a last 16 tie away to Leinster. Now, I'm not saying Munster would run scared of that. They would take a last 16 tie against Leinster rather than being rerouted the Challenge Cup. I don't subscribe to this theory. Oh, they have a better shot at winning the Challenge Cup. That This is Munster. They belong at the Champions Cup not the Challenge Cup. It's not going to rock the boat of the Red Army or the Munster Faithful or the players or the management. Even if, and even, if it, even if it ended the 11 years without a trophy, it would still come with caveat, well, it was only the Challenge Cup. Yeah. So they have to get through. Um, I think they'd have a chance, definitely. I've watched, like they've been, themselves and Toulouse have all been bare knuckle rides for 80 minutes and beyond with the goal kicking competition and, and the other two defeats by one, one score. This is away from home. Toulouse are top of the top 14. Emmanuel Miafu is a, a, the new Will Skelton. I'm here in France, they're doing their damnedest game of French passport. He, he could feature for the Six Nations. Um, they've got Antoine Dupont, who can keep quiet for 79 minutes and 30 seconds and he can still win the match. They've got Romain Entomac, who's getting better and better. They've got, you know, they've got so much quality and so much impact off the bench. It's as tough a test as Munster could have. It would be remarkable if they won. But Toulouse... The Stade Ernest Vallon is not quite the fortress that uh, La Rochelle and you know Clermont at its best and other grounds or Toulon at its best. It's not, it's not as intimidating when it's full, mm. and um, it could be that they'll have a real good shot at. They've got a lot of players in good form. You'd hope that Salano be fit. You certainly hope that Jack Crowley would be fit. And Mike Prendergast today was very strongly intimating that Crowley would be fit the eight-day turnaround. They're going to miss Jack O'Donoghue in all probability. And he's been an ever-present for them this season. But Gavin Coombs is playing the rugby of his life. Whatever about being rerouted the Munster squad in November did for him, he's just come. His numbers are extraordinary. I mean, tackle counts, tries, passes, offloads, the timing of his carries, turnovers. His, his game involvements are ridiculous. And I love that moment when he had the aware. I thought better than his two close-range finishes, which we shouldn't take for granted, but we do was the way they had the presence of mind to slow down, step inside, draw two players and mm. give Jack O'Donnell a free run to the line. So he's developing his football understanding as well. So with him in that form, Munster, there is a newfound self-belief, no doubt. They, they will have a good shot at it. And I'm going over to it. I'm looking forward to it. It'll be good. Mm. Ulster against Sale, Andy. Ulster will be very disappointed they didn't come away from a win against La Rochelle last weekend. 
the form has been poor, but there were probably some good signs last week. Yeah, I found the La Rochelle game, despite the low score, intriguing. Given the backdrop with with Ulster, it was one of those games where the conditions were so bad. The I suppose the boxing terminology, or more maybe MMA, is you know the gloves were off, and it was it was it was just ground and pound. It was just you know the, it it was when it's that rainy and that windy, you might run through the week and the warm up and say we're going to do our patterns and our systems. We're going to do exactly what we talked about. They're the type of game. Four minutes in, literally the gloves are off and it's combat, and they stood up. They stepped up and against the La Rochelle side who are so clearly uh, physically huge, physically domineering, I thought they gave, they did themselves huge credit. And um, as heartbreaking as that is when you get to, you know, 3-0 up in the 90s or 78 minutes. minutes ago, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, I think they'll take quite a bit of value from from that performance I really do internally that gives them a sense of hope again and a sense of drive I, I heard um, I read a good interview with um, their forwards coach his name's just um, Zimbab- from Zimbabwe South Africa the, uh, oh, I've got a blank too damn you <laughs> sorry he's uh, it, but interestingly he spoke about Bonneville no, no, it's. No, um, no, no, um, oh, I, I can't, sorry, I can't remember his name, but. Uh, can you edit this out, hopefully? <laughs> <laughs> but he spoke about their, the, he feels their need in the recruitment, which I was surprised why they need bigger, heavier again. Like they've got Treadwell, they've got uh, Vermeulen, they've got Henderson, they've a big, strong pack, and they're well able. coming in. Yeah. yeah. And he said they, they you know, they, they need additional artillery he felt on the back of the La Rochelle loss obviously they're all scrambling around and groping in the dark for what is the key reason it's a multitude of reasons you know um, and it's not just physicality and not just we need it, you know more big men up front but I the, the theory would lend itself you'd lean that way having had 18 minutes of combat not like just they just a bomb yeah. squad yeah. the thing is as well the way the results have panned out you might have thought that having lost three games they'd be out of the contention now but they picked up three bonus points along the way they meet a sales side around five points presuming Claremont lose this is effectively the first knockout match of the tournament winner goes through mm. and it's their first home game of the season I'm still feeling miffed about the fact that the La Rochelle game was moved Maybe, at short yeah. notice to the Aviva so it's effectively their first home game a Kingspan full house Saturday night 8pm Quite possibly with Stuart McCluskey back, who's one of the most important players. Mm. Perhaps with James Hume back as well. Maybe with John Cooney back. We were talking about off-air. It seems curious that he wasn't even in the 23. He's so important and so influential for them. And yeah, they suddenly know that if they win, they go through effectively. It's a winner takes all. So I give them a great chance of actually... They're due a win. Like they're just kind of, yeah. their their luck has been astonishingly bad in the last yeah. six, losing six of the last seven games. Like and they owe Sale one. They didn't, you know, they only turned up barely in the morning of the match after travel plans were rerouted and a two-hour coach journey from Birmingham to Manchester and then they met up, they went to a hotel for about 20 minutes and then were straight to the ground. Like, I mean, I know Leinster handled their disruptions very well before they played Racing in La Havre, but uh, I just feel that it's prime for a big Ulster performance and that they might well win and come through and then that they might well have a reprise of their Aviva quarter-final yeah. years ago against Leinster. I think it's going to be Leinster against one of the Irish sides. One of the proper games of the weekend. Gentlemen, I've enjoyed the conversation with both of you. Rugby here on Off the Ball is with thanks to Vodafone, main sponsor of the Irish rugby team. We all belong to the team of us. Wednesday Night Rugby on Off the Ball with Vodafone, main sponsor of the Irish rugby team. We all belong to the team of us.